Hello and welcome to Parallel, a tech podcast with accessibility sprinkles. I'm Shelley Brisbane, your host, and this is episode 13. So I want to tell you about a problem in my life. Not a problem, maybe a challenge, but I have been providing an increasing amount of tech support to my mom. She is older. She has macular degeneration. And anyway, all the issues related to tech support for family members got me thinking, surely I'm not the only one. And so I invited a couple of guests to join me and talk to me about family tech support and, by extension, what it's like to provide tech support for folks who are not necessarily tech savvy. And so I have two great guests to talk about that with me. The first is Rosemary Orchard, fellow podcaster here on Relay FM, co-host of Automators and a web developer. Hi, Rose. How are you? I'm great. How are you, Shelley? I'm well. Welcome to the show. Thank you. And my second guest is Lisa Salinger, who has provided tech support and customer service in a variety of environments, currently working with Mystic Access and writing and producing training materials for them. She's also done work with Blind Alive and has provided tech support, customer service for people of all ages. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you. I'm very pleased to be here. It's great to finally have you on the show. You've been somebody I've been wanting to chat with about something or other for for a good long time, so I'm glad we have this chance to do that. So I'm mixing the, the, the idea of family tech support with professional tech support, but for people who are not tech savvy. So I guess let's set the playing field. I, I talked a little bit about my situation, but let me ask each of you kind of what your relationship to tech support for non-techie family, customers, friends has been. Rose, how about you? You've done some family tech support, right? I have done family and professional tech support. So uh, it started out with the traditional, I'm the teenager who knows what I'm doing with computers, Rose fixes for me. So teaching my dad how to load CDs into iTunes and stuff like that. Um, And then when I decided to do my second degree, uh, there was a job opening to do tech support at the Technical University here in Vienna. And I applied for that. And they were there going, oh, the student of languages, she's not going to know anything about tech support. So it was like, little mini tasks like set up a VPN connection and help this person look into their email. And like I did it and they were kind of impressed with me. So I got that job and provided tech support to surprisingly non-technical people at a technical university um, <laughs> for quite some time before moving into web development. <laughs> How about you, Lisa? I have done some tech support for family. I don't particularly enjoy that particular aspect. Um, I do get the calls from my nieces. Aunt Lisa, Grandma or Pappy made the voiceover start talking on their phone. How do we shut it off again? Uh, Now there's a post-it note taped to my parents' refrigerator with that information on it. But it's really interesting because I think family, teaching family is totally different than teaching friends. I remember when I was in high school and I took voice lessons And I was coming in the door to my voice teacher's house, and her husband was going out the door with their little girl, and my voice teacher said, he's taking her to her piano lesson. And I said, "Um, I don't mean to offend you, but you teach piano. You teach my sister's piano. Why, Why don't you teach your own daughter piano? And fortunately, she wasn't offended, and she said, sometimes it's harder with family. And I find that for my family, I can give them tech support, and we do fine, but it gets a little dicey when you're talking about teaching. So I find that I have to do it in short snippets. Um, My dad, for example, was really frustrated because he said, when I'm using Pandora, 
I hate it because he said, I love it while I'm using it, but then I have to turn it off. I have to turn off my phone just to get Pandora to stop playing. <laughs> and I said, no, you don't. And so I turned voiceover on. I was in Pandora and I uh, touched the stop button to highlight it. And I said, see that button? I said, remember that button. And then I took the phone back, turned off voiceover, gave it back. And I said, now press that. And he's like, wow. You know, so quick stuff like that um, is good. But I think if I had an hour-long training session with one of my parents, neither of whom is especially technical, um, it would be the fastest and easiest way ever to get written out of the will. <laughs> and I think of myself as being really patient, but I think family is kind of a special set of circumstances. So you're making me feel good saying that because I have had experience, I've done a lot of training and tech support for people who ad admittedly, the first thing they say to me is, Shelly, I don't know how this works. Show me how it works. And so I know their level and their expectations. And then I get to be their hero. But whatever you do with your family, you're not necessarily the hero. You're the obstacle between them being able to be frustrated and not be frustrated. And however well you do something, it often seems like family is going to be less likely to give you that sort of pat on the back of, wow, you're amazing. You made that thing work. They're, they just want they just want their problem to go away and they feel free to be as frustrated as they want to be because you're family. <laughs> yeah. And you almost know them too well. Yes. Like you want to mm -hmm. say, I know you're capable of this. I know you're capable of learning it. And what they're really saying to me, at least sometimes that I'm not hearing is I don't want to learn. I just want it fixed. And so I've had to learn that too. Yeah, that's that's the subtitle under a lot of tech supporting families. Like they they don't want support. They don't necessarily want training. They just want it to work the way they expect it to. And sometimes, especially when, for example, operating systems change and stuff moves, like even if if it just moves a little bit, it's enough to break that muscle memory and make it really difficult for some people. And I feel that with family, that's a little bit more difficult to deal with. Like obviously, with some people, you just explain, yeah, it's over here now, and they're like, okay, that's fine. But for other people, and that's professionally and personally, like they're, they're not going to handle that well. And I feel that with family, people are perhaps a little less forgiving um, and willing to just accept stuff because, yeah, they're not paying for the support, which sounds a little bit odd, but that's kind of, yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and it's, uh, I feel like when you're dealing with somebody in a professional way, you whether you're paying them directly, whether you think of it in those terms or just the fact that you don't have a personal relationship with them, I think sometimes the receiver of the support feels more obligation to internalize what they're being told. This button does this. This is what how it will behave if you do it this way versus doing it another way. Whereas your mom is just like, OK, you made my email work for me. Now make it so I can print and not necessarily <laughs> internalizing. I mean, I've I've actually written because I've written a lot of documentation and technical and books in my life and stuff like that. So I think it's something I'm good at. I wrote documentation with images for my, this is not going to be me complaining about my mom the whole show, uh, but, but with images no, about how my mom should use sometimes. her printer, I put big red circles. I made it large type because she does have macular degeneration now. Uh, and I, so I did this great document for the printer and uh, I overheard, and I think she meant for me to overhear at a family reunion, my mother saying to another relative, well, Shelly got me this printer, but she won't teach me how to use it. <gasps> and I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> and I, 
not she just has not internalized the fact that those pieces of paper that I so carefully produced for her actually constitute more help than I'm going to give her on the phone when she's like, wait, well, let me put the phone down. Let me go press the button. You know, you think you're, it's it's it can be frustrating and people. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. See, I have the opposite thing with my dad. I tell my dad what to do and then he opens his pages document and he writes his own documentation in a way that he understands it. And that is the most rewarding thing. Oh, that's perfect. Ever. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, he's taken so, like, responsibility for his own tech support in that yeah. way, right? And also because he writes it, he understands it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he, he'll write it out and then he'll like go through and do the steps and then he'll look at it and be like, okay, th- this doesn't look like what you told me to do. Like, how do I fix that? Uh, which is really, really nice. So, yeah. I did find an interesting thing that when I was describing things to my mother because she, her background in technology was so limited, when I explained what an icon did and I what it was in iOS... I had to come up with a description that I knew would make sense for her, like the share sheet icon. I couldn't say share sheet to her. That doesn't make any sense. So I said, okay, let's see. It's the one with the down pointing arrow into the rectangle. Okay, is that going to be something that's going to make sense to her? And I, I came up with, I've come up with names for things that just sort of work for her. And then I have to remember those going forward. Uh, yeah. Which is a challenge. Yeah. But yeah, no, trying to explain the share sheet, that's so hard. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, because I wanted her, I got her this printer. I got her an Air uh, Play, compa- Air Play, no. I got her an Airprint. AirPrint, thank you, a compatible printer. So all she had to do, her only computer is her iPad. And so it was going to be super easy because she said, you know, when I had a typewriter, I could print what I was writing. And I said, well, if you have this AirPrint printer, all you have to do is open, press this icon, press this icon, press this button. And voila, you're printing. And she never mastered it, sadly. But uh, and and sometimes you take that personally as the person who's providing tech support. You're trying. You're saying, I'm trying my best. I've done this in a professional context. I've written a book about how to use this very technology for somebody with a disability. In fact, uh, but I'm not able to get through to somebody probably because of that barrier of how a family member interacts with you differently than somebody you're you know working with in a professional way. And I find with my family there are there is an additional barrier because I am totally blind and have been so since birth. And as hard as I have tried, I well, my knowledge of what the screen looks like visually is still evolving. And we'll just use Pandora because I can't think of what app it was. But my dad said, I'm on the screen now with all the pictures on it. And I'm thinking, Mm. what pictures? Is he in photos? Well, no, he was on his home screen. Mm. And so I figured that out. I said, well, what kind of pictures? Are Are they photos? And he said, no, they're little like pictures like you'd see on a Windows computer. And I said, okay. And then I said, well, don't you see any words? And he said, no. And I'm like, oh, we're in such trouble. So... I called my sighted sister who um, uses an iPhone but has no patience, especially with them, with anything instructional. Uh, I don't think she's a listener, so we're good. Anyway, (laughs) um, and I said to her, why, you know, what's going on? And she says, tell him that he should pick up these really cool tech gadgets. They're called glasses. (laughs) And if he puts them on his face, he's going to see that beside each of the pictures, there are words. And so sometimes for me, too, 
translating from the non-visual to the visual, things get a little lost in translation. I have a version of that, and I was going to ask you about that specifically later, Lisa, because I'm also curious about the extent to which your family members uh, accept and trust your advice. You you have you're using the computer or the phone in a different way than they are, and do they uh, interact? Do they go, oh well, Lisa said it's true, so it must be true, or do they interpret what you say in a way that I mean, basically, do they trust you? Do do you get their buy-in? Pretty much. Yep, that's um, good. The one that the one that does not trust me. Um, I don't think it's so much that she doesn't trust me, but she has her own issues about having the power and who is right and wrong. Uh, She works in my dad's business, and we had a really strong conversation about the lack of security on their router. And she's like, we don't need to be the freaking FBI. And I said, oh, yes, you do. You know, Mm -hmm. I said, you need to be secure. I said, how is it going to look? If all your customer data and credit cards are leaked, well, within a month, they had an IT person in there and things are locked up tight now. But like at that point, I was able to present my case and I was smart enough to do it, not only in front of her, but in front of my dad and my dad kind of pushed it. So I don't think that was so much an issue of trust as it was... um, family dynamics but I mean I have a few friends who will not update Windows programs or they will not update iOS versions without talking to me first and that's that's a a heady thing but it's a big responsibility you know Mm -hmm. I've been in that same boat I actually have a I'm sure a friend who she actually is somebody that I met because I was a fan of her music. She's a singer-songwriter. And one of the, I mean, I'll be really honest, one of the ways in, because I, I knew her and I liked her, I liked her personally, and I knew she was a Mac user. And I basically offered myself up as support for her. Mm-hmm. And she took me up on it. And one of the most flattering things that's ever happened is when, when Mac OS updates started, major updates, you know, from Leopard to Mountain Lion or Snow Leopard to Mountain Lion or whatever would come, she would email me and she would ask me whether she should update or not. And I yeah. felt very important at that. <laughs> I was like, wow. And, you know, and I, I, I set her up with a new computer and the whole thing. And, and that's, which is, like I say, it's so opposite or so so different from the family experience where you're... Uh, and and I, I ask the question not because my family doesn't trust me. I think they do. But I do always, and some of it is perhaps my own, you know, your attention tense in those situations. But I have been in situations where because I'm sitting physically close to the screen and I'm, I'm not necessarily taking longer, but I'm being very careful. I'm looking at a screen that I might not have seen before and they're looking over my shoulder. That's where I get the tension comes because I feel like you're – I, and they would have do, they would do that whether I had a visual impairment or not. I'm aware of that. Sure, but, but mm. there is it is sort of an uncomfortable position. I feel like I'm, you know, squinting into their I'm I'm squinting into their world, and they're over my shoulder watching what I'm doing, and I, I find that to be a challenging experience a lot of the time. See, that's, I think that's where what I, I love screen curtain. Yes. Mm. <laughs> Nothing to see here. Move on, please. I love uh, it. <laughs> I wish there was screen curtain in real life because my dad always asked me for help with Photoshop and Bridge, two programs I never, ever use. 
And so most of the time, I'm there, like, Googling with one hand on my iPhone mm-hmm. and, like, checking what it says and then just doing it on the screen. Um, and, like, he sees me Googling on my iPhone. And, he, like, <laughs> he knows that my knowledge comes from the internet, but when he tries to look up this stuff himself, he doesn't get the same results right. because he's just not so adept at typing the right keywords in. But, yeah, sometimes I wish there was screen curtains so that I could try all of this stuff and see whether or not it gets the results that he actually wants instead of, like half showing him something because he's watching over my shoulder and then being like well actually no this doesn't print passport size pictures on an A4 piece of paper so I need to try again <laughs> yeah my mother has apps that she loves that I don't use and they're actually in some cases apps that I've suggested because she wants to do a certain thing I've never done that thing before I don't care but I she wants it done and then the app doesn't work the way she wishes it to work and so I have to go mm. and figure out what's wrong with the app and and usually I do but it does take me a little longer while she's continuing to speak to me over my shoulder and or it's <laughs> it can be a challenge but see I found for my sanity it really helps for me to have very clear boundaries and say you know I don't and I think my family act, family especially and I I guess students I think students appreciates the honesty when I say, I really don't know, and either this is something I can look up in 30 seconds and I can find out, or, you know, I'll have to do this on my own time. Because I know me when someone is even just metaphorically looking over my shoulder. If they're waiting on the phone or something, I don't do the pressure thing well. So for my own sanity, you know, I may call them back in 30 seconds and say, got it, but it's better for me I think for my own sanity to just say, you know what, I'll call you back um, and not necessarily do the in real time thing unless it's just simply easy. That's mm. that's good. That's good feedback. Boundaries, even even in technology. And that's the thing we're I think I think it's probably safe to say that all three of us enjoy technology enough that it's it, it's a it's a fun activity. It's an enjoyable activity to find out how things work and our relationship with it is different than our families, and our relationship with it changes by virtue of being in those family spaces where there's sometimes are weird dynamics or tension, and, and that that is sometimes a, that's a challenge too. So yeah, boundaries. I should probably work on that. <laughs> well, I want to keep enjoying it, yeah. and that's one of the yeah. ways I do it. Yeah. In my case, like when I when I do tech support for my parents, like, I'm in the UK for a weekend. And during that time period, like last time I was home, which was last weekend, I upgraded my parents to the new one password. I put them on my family plan. I migrated all of my mother's passwords out of Keychain. I deduplicated all of her passwords and everything. It's like, okay, this is a very short time period. Uh, but the great thing was that she was like, okay, well, you're doing that. I'm just going to go have a share and breakfast. And it was like, okay, this is perfect. You just go do that. And then when I'm done, I'll show you the end result because you don't need to see what's happening in the middle here, which... Works really nicely. And now she has lovely G-duplicated passwords in one password and keychain is uh, like hidden, but still there just in case. Excellent. So, well, and that's the, yeah. the sort of thing where it's not a crisis. You are sol- you're fixing something. You're doing preventive maintenance, essentially. Yeah. And so she definitely. feels safe to go and do whatever she wants to do and probably doesn't want to be looking over your shoulder. But if she were having yeah. a crisis, that might... You know, yeah. manifest differently, right? If she if she can't print, and for some reason she believes, I really need to print in the next thirty seconds, and that's I think where I find those situations where somebody's looking over your shoulder and wanting a thing to happen that may not be possible to happen, and I might need I might need, might be on Google, and that might make me feel 
less knowledgeable than I know that I am. And also, it's it's like programming problems. If you look on Stack Overflow, I frequently find that the answer that I am actually looking for is like the most downvoted answer on Stack Overflow. <laughs> Just or like it's it's That's the one funny. with the least amount of votes because at the time the question was asked in 2013, the the answer with the most votes is the correct one. But mm. hey, it's 2019. This is six years later. Guess what? PHP added a function that could just do that. Yeah. Um, and so somebody's helpfully commented with that, but it's right at the bottom. So knowing how to sort out the weed from the chaff um, in terms of Google search results is definitely a very big skill, which I think a lot of people in tech support have. Um, you know, there are always tales from tech support on Reddit where people accidentally send the let me Google that for you link to customers. Um, but yeah, <laughs> knowing how to Google is a critical skill. Indeed. So. So what are the kinds of preventive maintenance or just uh, – you, you talked about a little bit, Rose, with passwords. But are there, are there things you would do for a family member that will probably save you a lot of grief later as well as make them better tech users? Uh, yeah. So uh, every year I upgrade my parents to the latest macOS operating system. I usually leave it a couple of months after it's come out. And I do a visit just before Christmas most years. So I will update them to the new macOS then, which means that there's been – a developer beta, there's been a public beta, there's been a couple of months of it being available to the public, so hopefully all of the major kinks have been worked out. And then I upgrade them to that every year. And their devices, they have a time machine, a uh, time capsule actually still in the house, uh, does backups and things like that. I have shown my dad how to use, I think it's super duper he's using. Um, oh, no, he's using Carbon Copy Cloner. That was it. I switched them a couple of years ago. And my dad religiously steals my mom's MacBook, plugs it into this hard drive and backs it up. Wow, that's <laughs> and he good. Has two, he, yeah, he has two hard drives. They have a second house. And so he takes the second hard drive to the other house and then brings the old one back with him and then uh, does the backups again. So uh, like I, I've been working, especially backups and passwords are the two things that I really care about when it comes to my parents. Because if somebody got into, say, their Amazon account, then they could theoretically reverse engineer stuff really quickly because especially my mother does not like two-factor authentication. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that was the other reason for putting them on one password because it automatically puts the second-factor authentication password on your clipboard for you. And I figure if somebody gets into their one password, then I have a big security breach because they're in my one password as well because we have a family account with lots of shared accounts in one of the shared vaults. So, Did they become yeah. Mac users because of you? Because that's awfully convenient that everybody's on the same system and I don't always find that to be the case in my family. <laughs> Yes. Uh, so essentially, when I bought my first MacBook, I went to the store and I wanted the MacBook Air. Um, and this was, I think, the second generation MacBook Air. Uh, this was 2009. And um, so it was still the, 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 the rounded corner one with the flop down drawer, mm, yeah. um, which after a while didn't click down, it flopped. Um, but yeah, and uh, the guy tried to downsell me. And he was like, you just need a MacBook. And I was like, I want the SSD and I want the thin light laptop. But he, he was really trying to downsell me to the MacBook. And I wanted the MacBook Air and we walked out of there and my dad was so impressed that he took me to another Apple store a couple of months later and we bought him a MacBook Pro. Um, and after that, he just kept working on my mom because he didn't like the fact that if he had to do something on her computer, it was different and it was difficult and it didn't work the same way. Um, and, uh, I suggested to my mom that she should get an all-in-one, so she bought a HP, and it was horrible and dire, and every time a, uh, piece of dust landed on this, oh god, I think it was a 27-inch touchscreen display, and it was in a dusty room, so that happened a lot, 
like the mouse would just randomly jump all over the screen, which is a usability nightmare for somebody who's completely like fully capable of doing everything. I can't imagine how anybody with any kind of accessibility issue would manage with that. Um, that machine was dire. And after that, she got an iMac. And uh, yeah, so that worked quite nicely. I'm very glad that she purchased a horrible machine because it <laughs> got, her to, got her to actually listen to me because she was concerned because she was spending a lot of money on the machine. And she was like, no, I don't need an iMac. Like, it's fine. And now she has MacBook Adorable, which is the 12-inch one. And it's light and it's thin and she likes it. Um, and it spends most of its life in clamshell mode, Doctor 27-inch screen with a uh, reasonable font size because she used to need extremely strong glasses and she's recently had the same surgery that you have um, if you um, have macular degeneration. I've forgotten what it is. There's a something surgery. Either way, they physically replace the lenses inside of her eyes. Um, and uh, now she can see again, which is great. Um, so, And she doesn't need glasses like at all, which I am so impressed with because she was genuinely concerned that I she was going to be... I she loves that. That's great. Half, yeah. She, she was genuinely concerned she was going to be like half blind at one point and the NHS in the UK were like, well, when your eye gets bad enough, then we'll, we'll sort it out. And she was like, what about the other eye? And they're like, no, you have to wait for that one to get bad before we'll do that one. So she just, in the end, she went and got it done and she had both of them done privately and she's very, very happy with her ability to see pretty much perfectly now, which I'm slightly jealous of, but my contact <laughs> lenses do best in 2020 vision, so I'm okay. <laughs> so did you use Back to My Mac with them when it was still around? No, um, mostly because they would try and steal a mouse and <laughs> stuff like that. Um, they weren't necessarily doing it intentionally. Like they'd just pick up the Mac to put it on a coffee table, but they press a bunch of buttons and move the mouse, yeah. and it would delete a bunch of files or something like that, um, or do something that was just very unexpected. So I switched to using TeamViewer pretty early on with them, um, and nowadays uh, we're at the point where I can pretty much just call them and we can do it over the phone, and they do it themselves. Um, which every so often I'll team here in just so I can see what's on the screen so that I know that when my dad's talking about, you know, the thing with the pictures, he's really talking about Finder versus Bridge um, because occasionally he doesn't give me the information that I actually need. He's given me what he thinks is enough information, but he's putting it together with a picture on the screen, which I'm sure is something everybody in tech support has gone through. People are telling you this, just like the home screen with your dad, Lisa. You know, he, he couldn't see the words. Didn't think that maybe it, he should say it's like the screen that you get whenever you unlock your iPhone. Um, so it's nice being able to peek in, but most of the time I've, I, we're at the stage where we don't need to do that, which is really nice. So, Lisa, how about you? You talked about the, the router in your dad's business, but are there uh, preventive or just sort of prescriptive things that you do in, in tech support that make your life easier with your family? Not with my family because they have... Um an IT person for the office. They actually don't have computers at home. When I'm down to visit, I do kind of help with iOS-related things if needed. Uh, however, they have many family members around who use iOS devices and can do the basics. I mean, I'm always telling my students things like, no, you really shouldn't still be running Windows XP with Outlook Express, for example, because, you know, you're a security nightmare looking for a place to happen. And, you know, if I'm connected remotely to somebody's computer, because, as I said, I do some instruction, but I also do some maintenance, I will make sure that 
virus definitions are updating and things like that. Or I will go ahead and clean out temporary files, um, which can free up amazing amounts of space when people are thinking they're really low on hard drive space and need to get a new computer. It's like, no, we can clean these out and they have amazing numbers of gigabytes worth of stuff back at sometimes. So you're uh, you're connecting to them remotely as well as to your students, or is that mostly your students you're working uh, with? No, remotely? it's my students. It's not really. I think I connected to my family remotely once, but like I said, they have all their computers are at the office, and they have an IT person that does that. Um, I might be involved in a little more hands-on if I were closer, but I'm not, so I'm not. So the iOS stuff is not a major project for you. You say they've got family members who can do that, but they don't have crises that involve their iOS devices that you have to mediate. Not not usually. Uh, like I said, the time that I get called is when they um, have, you know, voiceover on or sometimes because they still like to come and get me and drive me back. We'll have these conversations in the car and I'll just say, you know, how is your phone working? And they'll say, well, you know, my old one used to do this and I got a new one and now it doesn't do it the same way. So it's not so much like I am helping with crises, but I'm kind of helping with um, enhancements. I remember one time my mother was really, um, for whatever reason, my dad was not on her top 10 list. And I was changing some things and setting up some things and I said, do you want the voice of Siri to be a man or a woman? And she says, definitely a woman. I have enough men in my life telling me what to do. <laughs> and I said, but mom, I said, that's the beauty of Siri. I said, you tell it what to do. She says, oh, great. Then make it a man. <laughs> so, yeah, it was pretty funny. That is excellent. That's so funny. it's more like enhancements, I think, for family, which is good because I feel like when I'm down, there's always so much to do anyway that mm -hmm. it would, you know, it's it's nice to not kind of be in that mode. And they they've called, you know, with questions like they've thought about getting um, a computer for home use, and you know, my dad and I've talked about what they would need to make it happened so that they had the internet in their house and things like that. So it's more discussion, I guess, than like um, hands-on. Do either of you hear from family members when there's some sort of security problem? Like I, probably not the group FaceTime bug, but maybe. But are there, are there things that hit the news where your family calls up and goes, should I be worried about that? And, and how do you respond if that's the case? Nope. It just goes in one ear and out the other. Um, I mean, I do have, I did have one friend who would call me when stuff hit the news. She's like, this doesn't make sense to me, but it might help you. And she stopped doing that because she kind of knows, oh, you know, Lisa's seen that on Twitter three days ago, or, you know, I'm keeping up with that stuff. Uh, I try to uh, be proactive about things like that. So with the group FaceTime bug, uh, when uh, it started really hitting all of the tech websites, it hadn't hit the news yet. I messaged my parents and I was like, you're going to hear some stuff on the news about this group FaceTime thing. Doesn't affect you. That was a lie. But <laughs> it was a good lie because 
they never the only person that facetimes them is me yeah and nobody else even knows like their facetime like address so it yeah um sometimes i do tell lies to make my life a little easier in that respect uh but most of the time and see i don't even think of that as a lie yeah because it could affect them but it doesn't exactly because they don't use it in that way so um and Honestly, like in in that particular case, they don't have lots of friends that have iOS devices. Like the way that they communicate with friends is, in some cases, still by written letter, like handwritten letter or letter that's typed out and sent through the post. In other cases, it's email, um, and in all other cases, it's with a normal telephone call, um, which is going over a cellular or home line network. Uh, it's it's not going via FaceTime. They don't even know what WhatsApp is. Things like that. Um, other things like the MyFitnessPal breach. Um, my parents have used MyFitnessPal in the past, and they use it on and off from time to time. And uh, I thought it was really sweet. My dad forwarded me this message from this email that he got from MyFitnessPal saying that he needed to change his password, saying, I need you to help me do this when you're at home. And I was like, Dad, just click on the link in the email. <laughs> It'll tell you what to do. It's okay. Uh, but yeah, so sometimes they, they send me messages about these things and go like, do I really need to do this? Uh, my grandmother... Uh, Bless her. Every time her bank emails her, she forwards it to me and asks if it's really from her bank, mm. um, which occasionally is a little bit annoying. Aww. But the reverse problem. Considering the security yeah. of it, I am completely yeah. in favor of this. I am actually in my grandmother's case. Um, in fact, in my gra- in all my grandparents' case, I am logged into their email account in the Gmail app, and I usually just pop in once a day or once every couple of days and make sure that there's not like spam stuff sitting in their inbox and things like that now it very rarely happens anymore which is one of the reasons why they're using gmail because despite all the bad things about gmail it's really good at filtering spam also means that if they call me and say hey like i got this weird email i can say okay i can look at it and they know that i'm logged into their accounts this is not something i'm keeping secret from them they are fully 100 percent aware that I, I check on them to make sure that everything's okay my grandfather had one of the calls from Microsoft about your Microsoft computer a couple of years ago. Um, and so it's very much in favor of me going through everything for him and making sure that everything's safe and secure, uh, which is one of the reasons why my grandparents are iOS only nowadays. They, uh, My grandmother is even living the multi-pad lifestyle. She has two iPads, which is more oh, than I do. Oh, very nice. My my uh, my mother is the same way with with email, and she actually had her wallet stolen a couple of weeks ago, and she called me up immediately and said, "Okay, what do I need to do?" And she was panicked and freaked out, and that's mostly what I realized too was she needed me to listen to her because when it mm-hmm. when she started taking all the steps and canceling credit cards and contacting the police and all that kind of stuff, she did everything right, but she just needed yeah. me to hear her be panicked, and I I sent mm-hmm. her an email with the contact information for all the credit bureaus. And I said, you must make a police report and this sort of thing. And I've been monitoring her email. And I was proud of her last week because she has a a Google Fiber is how she gets her internet. And she called me and said, "Uh, do I need to change the credit card number that's associated with that account? And how do I do that? The fact that she thought of that, because that just was impressive to me. And then I went and I looked and I said, no, that's associated with your bank account number, not your credit card number. So you don't have to worry. But I'm in her email. I'm in her Google Fiber account. I've set up all that stuff on online. And as her vision is deteriorating, she's actually having me help her pay some of her bills online. And so that part seems to work. She, she seems much more kind of capable of the, the business part than the, the tech part. She, she's comfortable mm-hmm. with that. So 
Yeah. Well, with my father, I, I showed him years ago. His, uh, my parents have been using 1Password for quite some time. My mother less enthusiastically than my father. Um, but, you know, they're both on board. And I showed my dad how to put card information, like credit card, debit card information, into 1Password. And he was kind of on the fence about whether or not it would be useful. And then his credit card went missing. And he realized, he was there going, well, I don't know what number to call because the stupid thing about credit cards is they put the number that you need to call if on your card is lost or stolen on the back of the card. Uh, but it was in one password. And he got home and he was freaking out and he couldn't find his card anywhere because he went to pay for fuel and it wasn't there. Um, and the number was in one password. At which point my mom got home later that day and he just took her purse, um, sorry, in English purse is American wallet for ladies. Um, and uh, he, he got her one password and he put all of her information in there. And their passport information is in there as well, shared between them, shared between all of us, actually. So that if my passport gets stolen and my phone gets stolen, you know, I've got my parents' phone numbers memorized. I could call them and they would be able to tell me my passport information so that I can get it cancelled and stuff like that. Um, and, you know, they, they're slowly seeing that actually this stuff is really helpful, uh, which is very rewarding. And I, I kind of wish in some ways that when I'd done tech support that more people had listened when I said you need a password manager because <laughs> that's one of the things where I think that it really pays dividends. The thing about password managers is that even if you don't have a catastrophe, it is the kind of thing where once you get it, you really get it. I mean, in, mm-hmm. in, my, in, in our personal life, in, the, in my family, that was certainly the case. My husband and my mom and I share one password as well. And I, I don't know that my mom has intuited it to the, to the degree that your parents have. But still, that's not a problem that we have because there's a password mm-hmm. manager there. And so yeah. few people get that because as, as you it, it's just like, like something Lisa was saying you know do we need to be at, do we need to be the FBI do we need to lock down well there is this perception that if you don't have anything to to protect which you do even if you don't think you do uh, that you don't need a, a password manager but oh. yeah definitely and it, it shows people how much like is out there because my dad was there going oh I can just delete a bunch of these accounts in one password and I was like you know that doesn't actually delete the account right they still have all of your mm. information right and he was like oh Maybe 1Password should add that as a feature. And I was like, they're probably trying to figure out how to do that. Like, you know, come on. Password, the people who create and sell password managers, they're not silly people. They've, they've got a very good thing going here. Whether they're LastPass, the 1Password guys, KeePass, KeepassX, um, all of these people, you know, they're, they're not unintelligent people. But deleting an account is often like a 50-step process. So, uh, but yeah, like, you know, they're, they're slowly getting there. So would you say that you're... In terms of tech support, or just in term generally, would you would you call yourself for, for for both of you? Would you call yourself a patient person? And is that essential to being good at tech support? Uh, spoiler alert: I think it is, but and I'm not. <laughs> but I guess I, I wonder to, to to what extent you feel like you have the patience that you is required or that you would want in order to to be do a good job of tech support for for family, especially. Definitely, yes. I think to all of the above. Um, I have said before that I am a patient person with a long memory. Mm-hmm. I remember what it was like to be learning this stuff. And I've told parts of this on other podcasts, but I grew up at a time where computers were for the math and science nerds. And if there was anything I wasn't, it was a math and a science nerd. I was more the English, the literature, the psychology. And so... When I had to learn computers, I was 
really very anxious. And I was studying for my master's and I got my computer from the state. And all the training I was going to get because of my schedule needed to take place over three days. Well, it was installation and training. And the man got there and I said, I have a question for you. And you're going to think it's silly, but I really, for my own sake, I need you to take me seriously. And this was a DOS computer. I said, I need to know what I would need to do to make this computer completely non-functional. Because I'm so afraid I'm going to do something wrong and I'm going to mess it up. And he took me very seriously and he told me. And it gave me such relief. And I thought, oh, well, I would never do that on accident. And so that really helped me. But there is always the new you know, this is new, this is different factor. I remember when I got my first iOS device, it was an iPod Touch uh, because my carrier did not support the iPhone right away. And I got it, and I was so excited the first day. And the second day I woke up, and I thought, what in the world did I do? What made me think I could learn to use this? And I was keeping my hand so stiff, and I was pressing so hard when I was double tapping or flicking or trying to move things that for about three days I could proper I could not properly bend or extend my index finger and so I think if you kind of can maintain that long memory and you can be patient you can also step away from yourself and say you know okay this may not have been my experience but this is this person's experience uh, those things can really help a lot yeah, I, I, I wish in some ways that I hadn't had access to computers as early as I did. I was still in primary school um, and I think we had the Coral Draw application and we used to use it to make like birthday cards and Christmas cards and things like that. Um, and uh, my dad and my mom are actually the people that taught me to do this. And now, of course, I'm more technologically capable than them because I've just kept learning, whereas they have only learned what they really needed to do. I was the one who kept changing the computer background and breaking things and then having to fix it. Um, uh, whereas they actually read the manuals, which in some ways is a better approach. Um, but I do struggle with my patients. I think more with family because especially frequently I have explained this before. And I know that it's written down somewhere or that they knew how to do it. Um, but... I am improving with my patients and also my parents are very willing to admit when they know that I've told them how to do something before and they've forgotten instead of pretending that they never knew it or they never understood it uh, they they admit when they've forgotten things which is a great help and really does extend my patients massively. Oh yeah they've met you part way they haven't exactly. just been recalcitrant and said I'm not going to admit that I'm wrong which is you know sometimes it's a family dynamic thing uh, Yeah, and, and that's helpful yeah. yeah. I mean, I have, when I've been doing tech support with people before, I've been there going, okay, like, I know that you were talking to my colleague on the other side of the table, like, an hour ago, and I know that I spent 45 minutes going through this with you. Like, if you've forgotten it inside of 45 minutes when you went away with printed instructions, which you just threw in the bin outside, um, 
like I'm, I'm not going to be able to help you and realistically you're probably going to fail your degree program because your degree program depends on you being able to follow instructions um, <laughs> and if you can't log into your email account then you are going to have really big problems at a technical university um, so yeah um, I, I have struggled with, professionally with that too um, however having worked for Disney uh, the one skill that they teach you is how to put on a smell and pretend that everything's okay even when the world is breaking around you so uh that's why they'd never hire me because i'm bad at that (laughs) oh i'm very good at pretending that everything's okay um and actually working for disney was great because it also let me tune out uh background music very very quickly (laughs) that said i still love disney music so Uh, there we go i try to understand what motivates people to do what they do Mm. and that sometimes helps me to be more patient If someone asks me to repeat something, I think, okay, you know, I've been this person. I've written stuff down and my notes have been so cryptic that I didn't have a clue what I was saying. Or maybe I thought I understood the concept and then I went to do it and I found I really didn't. So I had to ask for repetition. Sometimes when it seems like people don't try or when they aren't taking notes or when you've spent hours researching and creating an audio tutorial and then and people purchase it and then they come back and they ask really basic questions sometimes that bothers me i can have more patience with someone who maybe has a little bit of dementia or i've worked with people who've had incredible amounts of zinc of anxiety around learning and that to me is easier than people who just don't write it down don't apply like this almost like this learned helplessness Mm -hmm. kind of yeah that's I think we all have our thing you know I mean I consider myself a patient person but then the little devil on my shoulder says aha but what about this and I'm like oh maybe I'm not as patient as I'd like to think I am but I think over, you know, overall I am, but we all have our things too. I used to do tech support for people that I knew who worked in nonprofits and also for individuals who had small businesses. But what I realized, and it wasn't on purpose, was that I was working with a lot of women who had had bad experiences with men not being very patient with them. And so mm-hmm. kind of my shtick was, I'm going to treat you with respect and sometimes people would – the first thing they would say to me was, I'm real dumb about tech, which I don't like on an intellectual level. I don't want you to come to me and say – because you're not dumb about tech. You've, you've chosen to prioritize other things. You're super smart about political activism or how to run your little printing business or whatever it is you do. You just have not chosen to learn about technology. But I have, and I'm here to help you. But that they've also disarmed me and they've said, I give you permission to be the smart one. And I'm going to listen to what you tell me. And a lot of times women would start that conversation. I feel dumb about tech, which, as I say, mentally, I was like, Grr, I don't I don't I don't want you say I don't like you saying that about yourself. However, I, I'm going to take that as my opportunity to, with respect, teach you what I know, not to show off, but to, to give you information that you can, you know, use f- from now on and not come have to come back to me and the people who said that were often the people that were least likely to come back and say yeah I know you told me this before but will you tell me it again or if they did they would do so in an attitude of like respect and they would appreciate the help I was giving them whereas I've had other situations where people would come and just they their frustration 
was catching. So they're they're like, this doesn't work, and I'm mad. I found that it was really hard to break through that sometimes because people I, – and sometimes I would do the equivalent of saying, okay, what I need you to do is take a deep breath, sit down, and tell me slowly what your problem – what's happening, what's what's going on with you. And I'm trying to mm-hmm. not be judgmental of them, but I'm also trying to chill them out so that I can get the information I need out of them, which was as close to you know psychology as I ever come. Like Unlike you, Lisa, I don't have that kind of – kind of background, but I found that once I, it, it's, it's what you said, though, it's about finding out what people's own motivations are. And finding your own boundaries, too. Like, I used to do this a lot for students, and then I stopped. We would have a lesson, and they would say, can you send me a written summary? And I was pretty new at all of this, and I would do it. And as I was doing it, I really resented it. And finally, um, I let my students know that I was working with, and any future ones, I said, um, unless there is a compelling reason, and I've done one or two since, and I felt there was a good reason, but I said, I will not be providing summaries of our lessons. If I need to summarize the lesson for you, then I have either gone too fast, or I have not allowed you the time to make your own notes, but part of this process is about empowering you not just to get this stuff because, you know, they they tuck away these summaries and they wouldn't have really, they wouldn't be trying to learn, they wouldn't read them, mm-hmm. and then they'd be asking me for the same stuff again, and it's it really, I think in part is about boundaries and setting my own boundaries but also really empowering people and making an environment that is conducive to learning. I have some people who learn much better when I stick with facts and A, do this, B, do this, C, do this. If I do that with other people, they will shut down. I have to use stories and anecdotes. Like someone said, I don't understand this multitasking thing. And at the time they were all the rage. I said, do you have a bread machine? And she said, yeah. I said, well, I said, when you have bread, bread going in the bread machine and laundry going in the washer or the dryer and you're running the vacuum, that's multitasking. And so it's about finding out what's going to work for people, I think, too. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, going back to the thing you said, Shelly, like people telling me that they're dumb about tech, I'm okay with that because that that's somebody saying, like, I, I don't know, like, what I'm doing here. What does annoy me, though, is people saying, I'm not a computer person. Like, my job isn't computers. And it's like, actually, your job is being a computer person because your job requires you to use a computer. Now, it's okay to not know what you need to do with the computer because I'm here to help you with that, or at least I used to be. Now I'm there to help teach them to use the ticket system, which is a whole other extra level on top of the computer. But yeah, so people being willing to learn is definitely a, a hurdle that you you frequently face in tech support. Um, and that goes back to with your example, Lisa, of people asking you for the summaries, you know, they, they weren't willing to do it themselves. Um, are they really willing to actually learn? Or are they just thinking that they're doing due diligence by getting their teacher to write up a summary for them, which they can then ignore? Um, <laughs> yeah. And I think people saying they're not a computer person, it's like they're giving themselves permission to, um, for lack of a better way of putting this, they're giving themselves permission to absent themselves from the Mm -hmm. learning process. Like, 
I'm not identifying with this, so I don't have to learn it. I don't have to incorporate it. Uh, actually, one of the things I'm in the process of doing is obtaining my certification to become a life coach. And one of the things I'm learning there is that many times the stories we tell ourselves are a lot more powerful than the reality because we make the stories our reality. So when people say, you know, they're not a computer person, that's a pretty sad and limiting story. Well, but it, it does seem to absolve them of responsibility. And it's the same as saying, it's broken, fix it. You fix it because you're a computer person. See, I told you I can't do it because I'm not a computer right. person. Yeah. It's kind of very hopeless sounding. Yeah. That seems like a good segue into something I wanted to talk to you about, Lisa. The, the people I know who have blindness and visual impairment, a lot of them are tech nerds. But I also know a few folks with blindness and visual impairment who, in, in various aspects of their lives, have perhaps not been challenged enough or have not, uh, you know, they've been, they have been in somewhat sheltered situations in terms of the kinds of, of, of lives that they've been able to live, whether it's because they're not employed. And I guess what I'm getting at is, do you, and maybe you don't agree with me, and that's totally fine, but do you feel like there are particular challenges when you're trying to teach folks with disabilities who may have sort of a standard fear of technology, but also uh, may have, have been, as I say, sheltered in, in some way and ha are not necessarily willing to come out of themselves to learn what they need to learn in order to, even if this tech may actually, once they learn it, make a huge difference in, in the way they live their lives. Oh, I, I couldn't agree more. It's why sometimes people who are blind will spend larger amounts of money than is necessary on technologies that are especially for the blind when a mainstream device will do as well or better because they think they need it to function again it's all about the stories that we tell ourselves and there also is the added challenge of accessibility being a layer on top of things um I'll give you an example. In preparation for this podcast, Shelley sent us a Google Doc. And I recently finished collaborating on a book about Google for National Braille Press. And I actually don't use Google a ton in my daily life. I use it. But I went in and it wouldn't let me edit the document. And it threw me into a tailspin. And my first thought was, you know, I should know this stuff. I should know this stuff. What's going on? What am I doing wrong? Or is there an accessibility something? Um, and then I realized, you know, and I called a friend of mine who also knows Google. And I said, I think she needs to give me access to this. Is that right? And was like, yeah, because it was showing me as having like view only access. But again, it was, you know, there were extra layers of things. Uh, the layer of I should know this, the layer of is something weird going on with my particular screen reader and accessibility. And you know, sadly, blind people are, I think, in general, as a group, less apt to explore. Well, if I do this, what happens? And, you know, I think it's like, um, 
blind child reaches out for something, you know, stop, don't do that. Blind child goes to step towards something, stop, you know, you'll fall, you'll trip, that's a flight of steps. And this fear is kind of taught. I was working with a student the other day and this person said, well, what if I double tap on that? And I said, what if you double tap on it? And they said, yeah, that's what I asked. I said, no. I said, what if you double tap on it? What happens? And they're like, I don't know. And I'm like, well, how are you going to find out? And they're like, I thought you'd tell me. And I said, this was somebody I knew pretty well. And so I felt free. I said, eh, <laughs> wrong answer. I said, you're going to find out because you're going to do it. I said, first of all, I said, I would not let you do anything that's going to make a mess. And second of all, a lot of this stuff is pretty mess-proof, but people will not explore even when they have a hint that is as simple as, you know, double tap to activate. Um, they're afraid to explore. And again, not all blind people, but I, I do see it more with blind people. I mean, I see that with them. I see with my dad things like, well, I touch it and it starts and that's great. And if I can't make it stop, well, then I just turn it off. You know, it's more, it's a little more um, fly by the seat of your pants kind of thing, I think. Do you, I, I guess maybe this answer to this is obvious, but do you feel like because you're also blind that people are more willing to go on those flyers with you and take the chances? I mean, does it does it really help training a blind person if they know the person on the other end is also in the same situation and they've maybe and they've mastered that technology obviously it only matters if they think it matters people are like do you have any sight and i say no and then they say well then you understand i said no not necessarily i said you know you're a person i'm a person you have no light perception neither do i but you know i said and I, I am, I mean, I have a master's in rehab teaching, but I said, you know, for all you know, you know, I could be completely unqualified. And some people have said, well, your blindness is qualification enough. And I, I just, I haven't yet, but I wanted, you know, probably by the time I'm 70, I'll get the nerve. I just want to say, well, then I feel a little sorry for you because you're setting the bar really low. Yeah. Just, just being a person who is in the same situation as your student is not at all going to make you a good person for teaching. It can your help. It can help. Yeah. But it's not going to necessarily, you know, I mean, people have said, I worked with this blind trainer and he was horrible. And it's like, well, you know, some are and some aren't. It's very unfortunate. But, you know, that's why it's, it's good to find somebody who's a good fit. And I've, most people I'm a pretty good fit with. Some, you know, I had someone say one time, I just don't really care for you. I don't feel comfortable working with you. And it's like, you know, really, I I was kind of like, oh, I wish there was something I could do to change that. But I really respected that person because they knew what they wanted and they knew what they didn't want. And I wasn't it. And so, okay, you know, chase that dream, you know, find what you need. <laughs> well, that's a very emotionally healthy of you. <laughs> yeah, it took a little I while. Imagine. It wasn't, you know, it was like, you know, and, and I'm saying this outside and inside, I'm going, OMG, 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 you know, like, ah, but, you know, really, it's what we ultimately want. I wouldn't want somebody to work with me for hours and hours and resent it and not being able to get anything out of it. And the person had had a, um, 
traumatic brain injury. And so finding the correct expressive words to say what he did actually need and what he did actually want, he didn't have those. You know, and he said, I'm sorry. He said, you know, before this, I probably could have said, you know, if you change this, we'd be great. You know, he said, I like you as a person. This just isn't working for me for training. And so, you know, that was an interesting experience. So, Rose, here's another crackpot hypothesis. It worked out so well the first time. Let me try one on you. So you're a coder. You're a developer, which requires a fairly logical mind, I would think. But not everybody you encounter when you're doing tech support, whether it's family or whether it's in a professional context, is necessarily going to think, well, A plus B equals C or A leads to B leads to C or, or whatever. And I wonder if, if that ever ends up becoming a barrier, that you think about computer problems in a really different way than the people you're working with. Well, I mean, to start with, you should see some of my coding solutions <laughs> because they are very crazy. Um, Though that said, that's partially in some cases because of the systems I'm working with, which is actually definitely an advantage. Um, I mean, I was lucky. I was doing tech support before I really got into coding. So I got to see the kind of crazy things that people think are the right solutions for stuff. Um, I'm still not quite sure how people end up with MacKeeper being installed uh, <laughs> because I never ins- I never see it because I always have an app blocker installed, um, which is something that I did very early for my grandparents. Um, but I, I, I've got the way flash that I get around a times, but not MacKeeper. Oh, <laughs> oh, right, yeah. Oh, that that could be it. I I uninstalled Flash pretty early on. And I uninstalled it from all of my family's devices too. Um, so <laughs> prevention, not cure. Um, but yeah, no, I found if, if people are doing things weirdly, um, I tend, um, because everybody has a very different approach to everything. And I, I, I studied foreign languages. That was my first undergraduate degree. And seeing a different approach to getting completely the same sentence in two different languages is actually pretty good education for this stuff because you end up with the same result just in two different formats or two different languages, as the case is. And so I usually, um, when people seem to be doing something weird, I tend to ask them to walk me through what they're doing. And at every step, I've been asking them why. And I find that that is extremely enlightening because to them, of course, it's completely illogical what they're doing. To me, what they're doing is completely illogical. And that does come up as a, a barrier every so often. I'm there going, okay, but why would you do these extra five steps? And sometimes they just need that to help them figure it out. So clicking file, clicking copy, going to the doc, opening the new program that they need, opening the new document that they need, and then doing file or edit and then paste. You know, like maybe that for them is, is, is much easier than just pressing command C, command tab, command V. You know, because it's already there. Um, but ask, I've been—I—I I, I learned pretty early on to ask people to tell me what they're doing and at every step to, for me for them to tell me why, because it gives me a great insight into not just what kind of crazy workflow they've come up with, uh, but also how there is an excellent XKCD comic about this um, of uh, teaching people to solve their own tech uh, tech problems. Never ask them why or how. Um, because uh, they end up doing things like uh, they they print uh, a, a link to a YouTube video and then they scan it in to email it to somebody and then they paste a link 
to a video downloading website so a person can get it onto their computer. And people come up with the absolute craziest solutions. And sometimes you do genuinely regret asking them how they've solved their problems and why. But sometimes it's really, really interesting. And also when you can say, hey, you know this thing that takes you 45 minutes? Would you like me to show you how to do that in five minutes? And showing them how to do it in five minutes with just a couple of steps. And in, in my mom's case with uh, her books, I, I put together some automated workflows for her that live in her dock. And she can just drop receipts on them and it just does it. Um, like that's the sort of thing that really makes a difference. And it genuinely, you know, when you when you say to them, okay, like the solution that you've got works, takes 45 minutes. Do you want me to show you how to do it in five minutes? Just seeing their eyes light up. I could say 40 minutes. Wow. Like you've you've that, done magic. That is always them. nice. I mean, you've, yeah, you've, exactly. You, or you've shown them how to do magic on their own in, in some. If you're in really fortunate cases, right? I mean, automator yeah. means you've made a button that yeah. does the thing. But there could and, be another circumstance I, where, yeah. if they've got one key concept, they might actually be able to do something on their own that they could not otherwise have yeah. done. Yeah, like I've I've walked my dad through making automator macros before, and uh, he he likes it. It's like he doesn't understand how any of this works, but he knows that he just has to drag and drop the blocks in the order that I've told him, and then he he does the thing, and he saves it, and he drags it into his dock, and then it does what he needs, and when he's finished with it, he drags it out of his dock. Um, and uh, yeah, that's uh, that's always fun showing people that they can save time. And uh, sometimes finding out why is very much, oh my gosh, why did I even ask? Um, but sometimes it's it's a very good insight into what the real underlying problem is. And it, well, and it helps you figure out what blocks in their thinking might be or if there are things that seem super obvious to you but are not to them. And then you find out, oh, when I said cut and paste, I thought you understood what I meant, but you didn't. Yeah. I want to thank you guys for a really interesting conversation that fortunately didn't turn out to be me complaining about my mom the whole time. And uh, that is an accomplishment. Uh, but um, before we go, I would like to ask you the one more thing question I will also answer. Uh, the background for this is I heard this. I think I heard it on a podcast. I don't think it was NPR. But at some point, somebody last week was saying, so there are two kinds of people in the world. They're the kinds of people that pick up that, that when they wake up, they pick up their phone before they pee. And they're the kinds of people who pick up their phone right after they pee or while they're peeing. Uh, and I was a little startled by this because my answer is slightly different. And um, so I'm not going to ask about your, your bathroom habits, but I would like to know at what point in the morning do you first pick up your phone and what is the first place that you go on it when you do that? Lisa, let's start with you. Generally, sometimes, I don't know, it's hard to have this discussion without going into bathroom <laughs> habits. Um, I'm free to do so if you feel like it. I usually, I usually get up, go to the bathroom. If it's in the summer and I'm nice and warm, I'm good, I'm up. If it's in the winter, because I think bears are really the smartest creatures alive because they hibernate when it gets impossibly cold. Um, I will go back to bed with my phone, even just for five minutes. It makes me feel more decadent than I deserve. And I'll usually just quick look through notifications. And then uh, second place is always email because I go through and I edit and I delete the junk mails I delete the threads that have been going on and should have died long ago. And I see if there's anything really important. And then once I've done that and I've kind of culled the stuff I don't need, 
I'm left with, quote, the good stuff or the relevant stuff, and then I get up and have at it. Rose, how about you? That is so much more self-control than I have. <laughs> um, so, I mean, to be fair, I, I, I often get up and I go to the bathroom first. And then I go back and I, go, and I try to go back to sleep because I often wake up quite early in the morning and I would like to sleep a little longer. Um, but when that doesn't happen, then I pick up my phone and just like Lisa, check notifications first. Um, and then I usually hop into messages. I have friends scattered across all of the time zones. Uh, so there's always somebody that's been awake and they've messaged me. And my friends do not disturb during the night. Um, so I, I won't get woken up by these. And so I can check in and check how people are doing and respond to anything that's urgent, you know, moving podcast recording or uh, talking to my co-author about my book, things like that. Um, and stuff like that. And then uh, I will just go through the notifications. I do make a point of stopping into the automators and MPU forums in the mornings because uh, a lot of the people in those forums are based in the US. So a lot of the activity happens while I'm asleep during their evening time. And just to make sure that nothing bad has happened or, you know, anything too dramatic is happening and that I'm missing out on all the good stuff, I, I pop in there in the morning. And also it gives me a nice fill of good people for the day. So when I heard this before or after you go to the bathroom uh, idea about phones, I, I felt real real uh, smug because I was like, wait, sometimes it's 20 minutes after I get up before I pick up my phone. And I realized why I can feel smug. And it has nothing to do with my own virtue. It is that I have an, an Amazon Echo in my bedroom and it wakes me up by playing a radio station. that play, In fact, it's the station where I work. Uh, it plays the news for me. And then the Echo is set up about 10 minutes after I wake up to tell me the local weather. Because when I wake up, I want to know what the weather is. I want to know what shirt to put on and whether to carry a jacket. And so having that information makes me feel less like I have to pick my phone up. Uh, and, and that's it's like cause before that, before I had the Echo doing the weather, I probably would have like rolled right over and grabbed my phone. But the first thing I, when I get to the phone, I actually jump in work slack because my do not disturb ends right at when I get up. And so if I hear the ding, because I love audible alerts, uh, if I hear the thing that says, okay, the work slack is alive and well, then I want to know what's going on because there are people that get there about half an hour before I do. And it, and again, it's not it's not me being particularly virtuous. It's just that there's that's what's going on at that time of day for me. My friends aren't saying anything interesting on Twitter or in messages at six in the morning when I get up. I wish they were, because I'd, I'd much rather be talking to them than reading work slack. But sometimes so much important stuff does happen in the morning. And for me, just going through my emails and there'll be, you know, this problem or this question, sometimes I'll jump on right away and I'll answer something. But usually I, after I've checked it, I usually put podcasts in my ears then or something and I go and I make my breakfast or then I get a shower. And while I'm doing these other non-work things, my brain is kind of cranking away on anything I need to yeah. reply to so that when I'm ready to sit down, I feel like I'm a little more productive and heaven help us all because I in particular could use this a little bit more concise than I might be otherwise. This is why I don't check work email in the mornings, because then my brain is in the background. Despite whatever else I'm doing, it's working on work. And I like to have a little break before going to my jobby job in the mornings. That said, occasionally I will sit with my iPhone in bed and I will write an article before I get up. <laughs> See, I would never Which, read work email. I'll listen to work Slack because work email or read work Slack because work email is 
the entire university, it's other departments in the station wanting something from me that I don't really have time to give them. But Slack mm-hmm. is just my team of about 13 people. And I know that if there's a Slack for me from them, it's something that I'm going to have to address when I get there. And so like for that, that level of obediency, I guess, is why I do that. But no email. Yeah. I can't. I can't imagine reading email at six in the morning. I, I, I just. I, no. No. <laughs> Twitter maybe. Like I'll listen to my. I'll look at my Twitter direct messages. Yeah, our team at Mystic Access is small. They're basically just three of us, and you know sometimes other people are part of the conversation. But you know it's not. If I had a huge email system like that, oh no, I wouldn't be doing that either. Well, I want to thank you again, uh, Lisa and Rose, for joining me on the show. But we can't let you leave without telling everybody where you can be found online and what you're up to. Rose, where can people find you on the internets? Well, I am Rosemary Orchard, which means that you can at me at Rosemary Orchard on Twitter. You can find me at rosemaryorchard.com. And of course, you can find the Automators podcast, which is about all things automation, at uh, relay.fm slash automators. Excellent. And Lisa, where can you be found on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at, it's the first eight letters of my last name. It's L-I-S-A-S-A-L-I. So those are both S's like Lisa Salinger. If you want to reach me personally, you can write to lisa at lisasalinger.com. Or you can visit my poor little website, which is a work in progress. And it is actually progressing a little. I'm working my way through a WordPress course and learning things. Uh, and that's Salinger with one L. Or you can email me um, for all things Mystic Access at lisa at mysticaccess.com. Or you can visit mysticaccess.com. It's uh, Mystic Access is all one word. And we have free offerings and paid offerings and uh, a podcast that comes out twice a month. And I am regularly on that. And so that's where you can find me. You can find this podcast at Parallel Pods on Twitter or at relay.fm slash parallel. You can also find me on Twitter at Shelly, S-H-E-L-L-Y. And uh, if you have suggestions for guests or topics you might like to hear on the show, I would love to hear those. So thanks so much to Lisa and Rose for being with me on today's show. And I'll be back in two weeks with another one. Bye-bye.